So Deuteronomy chapter 10, you can just go there right now. We're going to camp out, like I said, in a few different places. So we're, we're in the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Deuteronomy, what, what we find here is, is essentially a, a series of sermons given by Moses to the second generation of Israelites. They are about to cross over the Jordan River into the Promised Land, and they're going to be underneath the leadership of Joshua. And, and after Moses re- reviews the law, goes through the, the law and the covenant with the people, he reviews the history of Israel with them, and then he gets to this point in, in Deuteronomy chapter 10 when he addresses a, a key and foundational issue, a core issue for the people. We see that Moses is going to command the necessity of Israel to give its full attention to their heart, to their heart. Moses knows, I believe, Moses knows that he's addressing a nation that is largely unconverted. They were delivered physically out of Egypt, but they have remained largely unconverted. The people have been wandering in the wilderness for the last 40 years, this is something that Aaron talked about a little bit last week, but we had to, we skipped over a lot of this. The people have been wandering around in the wilderness, and, and mainly because their hearts are full of evil, full of unbelief, uh, full of rebellion and, and stubbornness and, and hardness toward the person and work of God. And we see over and over again in Deuteronomy, Moses is exhorting the nation of Israel over and over again to love and obey God. And if they love and obey God, it will go well with them. And so I want to pick up in in chapter 10. I want to read the first uh, or chapter 10 verses 12 to 22 with us. And and this is where where we pick up here. So chapter 12, Moses says, And now Israel... What does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with with all that is in it. Yet the Lord has set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great and mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you are sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. And by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord, your God, has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven. In verse 16, Moses is commanding the people of Israel to give their full attention to their heart. He says, 
Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. The heart and scripture, we have to talk about this real quickly. The heart and scripture does not mean the physical beating organ in, 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 in your chest cavity. That's not what the heart means. The heart and scripture is the center of the person. The heart and scripture is the true self when all the masks are removed. The heart is the source of our commitment either to serve God or to serve idols. And the heart is the control center of your life. It is the heart that governs our words, our actions, and our thoughts. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 15. Jesus says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. The heart governs your actions. The heart also governs your words. This is Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says, You brood of vipers, how could you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The heart governs our words. The heart also governs our thoughts, our thought life. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 4, we read, Matthew says, But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? It's the heart that governs our actions, our words, and our thoughts. And brethren, true Christianity has always been and will always be a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. And we see this throughout Deuteronomy. Flip with me back to, to chapter 6 in Deuteronomy. Six, chapter 6, verses 4 to 6. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. It's about the heart. This is the commandment for Israel to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our might, the whole being, all of us. If you have this idea that in the Old Testament that their religion, the, the Jewish religion, was just a, a outward, just some outward conformity to a book of laws and these sacrifices and the tabernacle and the temple, and that's it was just all outward, you're wrong. It has always been a matter of the heart. That's, that's where the true substance is to all true religion unto God, true Christianity. There must be an internal reality in our lives, not just the physical outworking, the law keeping. This is what is, is, is common and the same of all false religions that separates all false cults and religion apart from Christianity. It's the heart. You see, you could be about... Rule keeping, you could be about, you know, uh, uh, following some code. You could be about presenting yourself in front of other people as, as clean and, and good and upright and moral. But if inside your heart is corrupt, it is worthless. It's worthless. 
There must be love for God in the heart. And there must be love for God inside of us that will work itself out practically. But it's about the heart. What is the condition of your heart? That's what Moses is getting at here. You must circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And I want to look at three things tonight, three headings to help us think about this this concept of of the heart and the circumcision of the heart and, and the importance of the heart. So three things to help us remember if you're taking notes. Number one, the necessity of the new heart. Number two, the promise of a new heart. And number three, the evidence of a new heart. The necessity of a new heart, the promise of a new heart, and the evidence of a new heart. The necessity of the new heart. Let's look at chapter 10, verse 12. Moses says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all of his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and to keep the commandments and the statutes with which the Lord or of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. What does God require of us? Well, to fear Him, to walk in His ways, to love Him with all of our heart and all of our soul, everything. To serve Him and only Him and to obey His word. That's what God requires of us. Brothers and sisters, this is everything. Our whole being must be involved in this endeavor and This has not happened for the nation of Israel, and this has never happened in any of our lives. We have never loved God with every fiber of our being. And the nation of Israel certainly has not done this so far. This has not happened. They have not loved God with everything. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1. Let's look at some examples of this. And we've seen this. I mean, have we not seen this throughout, since the fall, since Genesis chapter 3, we have seen throughout Scripture that man has a heart problem, man has a heart condition. This has not happened. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse, verse 26. In the context here, Moses is, is reviewing the history of Israel to this second generation. And he's talking to them about their refusal to enter the promised land. And he says in verse 26, he says, Yet you would not go up, chapter 1, verse 26, Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us uh, into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So in in Numbers... We saw that the people got right to the promised land. They were right there. They sent 12 spies in to to search out the land. The the spies came back and brought report. Ten of them gave a bad report. Two of them gave a good report. Do we know who the two were? Caleb and Joshua. Okay. And they reported that the people are big, that, you know, we're like grasshoppers to them. Like we're going to get destroyed. And the people are going, we're not going in there. They rebel against the Lord. The Lord has said, I will be with you. You will go in. You will conquer. And they said, no, we're not doing it. They rebelled against the command of God. They did not want to go in. Look at verse 30. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did 
for you in Egypt before your eyes. And, and look at verse 32. Moses says, Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek out a place to pitch your tents. They would not go in. They rebelled against God and His command. Just go down to the end of the chapter. At what, well, let me explain real quick. And then God says, okay, fine. You're not going in. Turn around. You're going into the wilderness. And then they go, okay, never mind. I changed my mind. We're going to go in. Okay, okay, we'll go in. And the Lord says, don't go in. If you go in, you're going to get destroyed. I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be with you. And then look at in verse 42. And the Lord said to me, say to them, this is Moses, do not go, fight, go up and fight, for I am not in your midst lest you be defeated before your eyes. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down and sare as far as Hormah. They went up. They rebelled against God, didn't go up. God said, okay, I'm not going to be with you anymore. They said, okay, fine, we change your mind. God says, don't go up. And then they rebelled again against God. Flip the page. Go to, go to chapter 5. Moses, again, is reviewing, reviewing the law to them. He, he lays out the Ten Commandments. He's reminding the second generation of, of the history of Israel and how they responded. And if you remember when I talked about in Exodus... That when, when God came down on the mountain of Mount Sinai, the people were terrified and they were afraid, rightly so. God was, was revealing himself. And then we get in verse 29, God says about the people, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and keep my commandments, that it might go well with them and with their descendants forever. What's implied here? What's implied is that they do not have a heart like this always. They don't. They have an inability to fear God. What does God require? That we fear Him always. They do not fear God. They will not fear God because they cannot fear God. They're unable to do so. God looks at them and says, Oh, that you would always have a heart like this. Implying that they do not. They don't have a heart like that. Look at, look at chapter 9. And this, and this leads us right into chapter 10 and what Moses says right here, which I think is important. Chapter 9, um, verse 6. But yes, yeah, 7 as well. We're going to read a couple places here. Moses says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. Listen here. From the day you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you have been rebellious against the Lord. This is continuous. These people are supposed to love God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, and they are not. This has not happened. Something is wrong. And this leads right up into chapter 10, which I think is significant. Moses says, you need to circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. They need a new heart. 
Israel had personally experienced God in all that he did. They had his word. They had the covenant. They had the sacrifices. They had the tabernacle. They had God's physical appearance with them. And despite all of this, they were still rebellious and living in unbelief. They would not obey God. Brethren, they needed God to come in power to change their heart. They had all the, all the outside workings of religion. Everything was good on the outside, but they had a heart problem. They needed God to come in and change the heart. They needed God to come by the power of the Spirit to cut the heart, to transform the heart, to make the heart alive, to make the heart new, so that they would respond to Him with love and obedience that He requires. They need this heart. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Moses, Moses lays this out to them and he knows. He knows them. He's been leading them around for many years. He understands that they have a heart problem and they must give full attention to this. And later on, I'm going to launch a, a little bit forward too with this, but later on, God warns the people through the prophet Jeremiah about this same issue, that they need a new heart. And Jeremiah says, without this circumcision of heart, the wrath of God will come. He says in Jeremiah 4.4, Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. The problem is of the heart. I love what the Reformation Study Bible has a, has a note uh, on, the, on the Jeremiah 4.4 verse. And this is what it says. I want to read this to you. It says, The outward signs of ownership by the Lord are worth nothing unless they correspond to an inner reality. Remember that the Jews thought because they, they had the physical sign of circumcision, that they were children of Abraham, that they were automatically in. Oh, we're in. We're the Israelites. We're the Jews. We got the covenants, the promises, everything. Abraham's our father. We're in. And Jeremiah says, or the, the, the Lord through Jeremiah says, no, you have a heart problem. And if you do not circumcise the heart, God's wrath will come upon you. This is a necessity. This is a necessity. Church attendance means nothing unless it corresponds with an inward reality of a changed heart. Going to a Christian school means nothing. Having Christian parents means nothing. Coming to Friday nights over and over and over again means nothing unless there's an inner reality of the heart. You affirming, I'm a Christian, I love God, I love the Lord, means nothing unless there's an inner reality of love for Christ. There must be a change of heart, brethren. There must be. There must be a deep work of grace inside of your heart. I'm going to talk about what that looks like in a minute. But it must be done by God. God must intervene. He must come in and circumcise the heart so that you would love Him. This is a necessity. The heart must be circumcised. And why? Well, it needs to have this stubbornness removed. 
The stubbornness of the heart must be removed. That's what he says in verse 16 of, of chapter 10. He says, Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Some translations render that stiff-necked. If you have an NIV or an NASB or a King James, it's, it's translated a stiff neck. What, is, what does that even mean? Stubbornness, stiff-necked, this has to be removed. What is going on? This is a term that describes an animal. Listen to me now. This is a term that describes an animal who refuses to be led by its master when they're plowing a field or driving a cart. This animal is impossible to lead. Their neck is stiff. Okay, and that's why you have the you know the little reins if you if you ride horses or 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 or, or, or you see this. You pull on right or left, and it moves the head. When the head moves, the animal moves. It goes where you want it to go. When you stiffen your neck, it doesn't move. If your head doesn't move, the, the, the master can't steer you in, in the direction that, that he wants you to go. You have a stiff neck. You will not obey. You will not conform to where the, the master is leading you. A refusal to obey. And, you know, we kind of lose this illustration of and this stuff with the animals. Does anyone have farm animals? I mean, probably not. You know, yeah, no, you know, maybe ridden horses. But so I was thinking of, you know, some, some more maybe modern illustrations of this. Imagine, like, coming down from uh, up at Mount Charleston. And you're coming down, and you're coming down, like, through the windy roads, right? And you have no power steering. And the steering wheel is stiff. And it will, it refuses to go where you want it to go. It's stiff-necked, if you would, okay? Or you have a child who is just, and you guys know if you have kids, they just, they stiffen up their bodies, and you can't do, you can't get the clothes on the kid. It's like, stop, get, loosen up so I can get some clothes on you, or change your diaper. So it, th that's the idea, is, is getting stiff so that... It doesn't go where you want it to go. Israel is stubborn. They are stiff-necked. And you and I, before we come to Christ, are stubborn and stiff-necked. We will not allow God to direct us to a new path. We refuse constantly in our heart. And Moses says that when you circumcise your heart, the stubbornness is removed. And when the stubbornness is removed, you will begin to obey your master. You will begin to obey the Lord as he directs you and guides you. That's the idea of what's going on here. We must circumcise the heart. This is a spiritual matter. Okay? This is an illustration, a metaphor of, of getting at the heart, transforming it, cutting away the old life an inner transformation in order that we would obey God. There's a necessity that this must happen. We need a new heart. We must, we have to understand that. We need a new heart. Then we get the promise of a new heart, number two. The promise of a new heart. Look at, look to, to, to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy. 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We get this command to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. And I don't know about you, but if I'm you sitting there, I can't do that. Can't do it. I cannot do that myself. 
but God promises to do it for his people. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. Or let's read, sorry, 1 to, uh, 1 to 7. Moses says, When all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today, with all your heart and with all your soul. When the Lord your God, or then the Lord your God, will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you. And he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the utmost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed. And that, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. What God commands in chapter 10 for them to do, he promises he will do in chapter 30. He promises that he will do that to those who come to him, to his people by faith. You must come. And when you come, this is what's going to happen to you. He will circumcise the foreskin of your heart so that you would love him with all your heart and all your soul that you may live. God promises to do this. The Lord will do a transforming work internally. This is a sovereign work of God. This is a sovereign work of God. God alone does this. It's a powerful work. It cuts to the heart. It cuts to the soul. God gives new life into the heart. He restores, he renews, and he causes his people to turn to him. He gives the ability for us to, to, to unstiffen our neck and to respond to him in faith and to come to him. And this is what, and, and it's this promise that the prophets proclaim. And this will launch us through the, throughout uh, the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And I want to look at a few verses uh, through, through the prophets. This is, what they pro this is what they proclaim will happen to God's people. They will receive a new heart. Flip to Jeremiah 31 with me. We're going to look at three verses. Jeremiah 31. This is the promise the prophets proclaim will happen. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. The promise of a new heart. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall they teach 
Or shall one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord? For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. A couple things to point out here. This is a different covenant from the old covenant. It's a different one. God's law will be on their heart and not on stone. Therefore, producing what is required from Deuteronomy chapter 6, namely obedience from the heart. And number three, that everyone in this covenant is converted. If you're in this covenant, you are regenerated. You are a true child of God. He says that they will all know me. Nobody outside the covenant will be, or no one in the covenant will be unconverted. Unlike the old covenant, where you were in it, but you may not be converted or not. In the new covenant, if you're in the new covenant, you are saved. Your sins are forgiven. You will know the Lord. And that is speaking not just of some intellectual knowledge, but of a real relationship made possible by the saving work of God. And there's forgiveness of sins found in this covenant. If you're in this covenant, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. They will all know God from the least to the greatest. Everyone in this covenant is saved. The law is written on the heart. God's going to do a work in the heart. Look at uh, chapter 32, just the next page over. Starting in verse uh, 39. He's, he's reiterating kind of the same thing here. It says in verse 39, these are beautiful verses I w- of 32. This is God speaking, the Lord. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that will not turn away from doing them good. And I will put the fear of me within their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and all my soul. God says he's going to give them one, his people, he's going to give them one heart and one way that they may fear him, that they would not turn from him. This is radically different from what we've been seeing. The people constantly turning away from God, constantly unbelief, running away, just not good. Complete opposite. God says, I'm going to put my fear in you, and you will not turn from me. And he will rejoice in doing them good. Brethren, he rejoices in doing you good if you are his child. He rejoices to do this. It's not something that he grudgingly does. He gives you a new heart rejoicing about it. And he does it in, with all his heart and soul. Look at the tender care of our God, that he would do such a thing for us, that he would reach down into our life and, and, and change us. He rejoices in doing that. Praise him. Praise the Lord. Let's look at one more verse, and this is probably maybe, maybe the most known, Ezekiel 36. If it's not the most known, I hope it is. This is a great passage. Ezekiel 36, it's just next to Jeremiah. I keep flipping over to the, uh, to, the, to, the, to the right, toward the New Testament. Next book over. 
Well, I guess second book over. You got Lamentations and then and then Ezekiel. Yep. Thirty-six. <coughs> uh, verse twenty-five. Are we gonna start? Yeah, twenty-five is fine. This is this is God speaking here. The Lord speaking. He says in verse twenty-five, "I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses, and from all your idols. I will cleanse you." And I will give you a new heart. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Notice the I wills. God says He will do this. He will give a new heart to His people. He will give them a new spirit. And not just that, He Himself, the Holy Spirit, will come and dwell within us and He will cause us to walk in His ways and be careful to obey His rules. This is a new heart. This is a powerful image. This whole section is a powerful image of the new life that God gives. What is needed is a completely new heart. And this is not some, you know, we get this idea, right, of, and maybe you can testify to this before you became a Christian. This is, this is not some, some personal decision to try to live a better life. You know, I tried that a lot before I was a Christian. Before God saved me, I tried many times to live a better life, to do better. I just got to do better. I just need to be better. I just got to stop sinning. I just got to figure it out. I just got to do it. My, I just got to do better. It's wrong. It's wrong. You can't, you can't do better. You need a new heart. You need God to come in and rip out the old heart, give you a new heart so that you would follow Him and walk in His, in His ways. We must entrust ourselves to Him. We must come to Him. And we, must, we must preach this to the unconverted, to come to Christ. You need a new heart. And God will give this. And we see this, this, this fulfillment. We get kind of the promise is kind of uh, bloomed, if you would, planted in Deuteronomy, kind of laid out more in the prophets. We see it come to fruition in the New Testament. Flip with me to, to, to Titus chapter 3 in the New Testament. Might take you a minute to find it, but when you get to the New Testament, you got the three T's. You got Thessalonians, Timothy, and then Titus. Titus chapter 3. And this is, this is a reality for us now. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. Paul says here, speaking of, of this conversion, of, this, of this, this work in the heart, he says, For we ourselves were once... Foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various, various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds a lot like Israel. And Paul's describing you and I before we come to Christ. This is our heart. 
We are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to sin. Verse 4, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. How does He do that? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does God do? He breaks in, He comes in, He washes you and renews you by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's that, there's that work, there's that regeneration, the renewal of the heart. God comes in and, 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 and does a work, does a great work. And we see God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit working in this. All actively to save the soul of man, to change them. The renewal of the Holy Spirit. What, 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 the prophets, what Ezekiel prophesied and promised in Ezekiel 36 is a reality to you and I. We have new hearts. God has promised to do this. He's promised. Look at, look at, uh, just two more verses. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. That this is a reality in the New Testament for, for those who are in Christ. I just want to make a, a point here before we, before we move on. This promise is, is a reality for us. Look at the language here. This is in 2.11. This is what we've been talking about. Of Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. Paul says, In him meaning in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is, this is it. This is the reality. The circumcision done by Christ is an inner work done for those in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. It, this is a reality today for you and I. Christ spiritually circumcises the heart. And we, and we know and read in Romans chapter 2, verse 29, that Paul says true circumcision is of the heart. It's not just the external religious abiding by the law. It's a heart issue. And God promises to give a new heart when you come to Him by faith. We need a new heart. God promises to give a new heart. And what does the evidence of that new heart look like? Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And we read this verse, but I want to read it again and come at it from, from another angle. What is the evidence of a new heart? You know, because if we're sitting in here today, brethren, we, we need to know, okay? We need assurance where, where assurance should be had, and we need to examine our hearts here, okay? We need the new heart. God promises to give a new heart to those who come to Him, His people. And what is the evidence of that new heart? That, that's a good question to ask. And we must ask that question, what is the evidence? How do we know we have this? Well, Scripture certainly is not silent on the issue. 
and there's a lot that could be had, a lot that could be said here. I want to keep this simple, basic, easy to understand. Two things we're looking at here. What's the evidence of a new heart? Love for God and obedience to His Word. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. Moses says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that... If you have a pen, circle those two words. So that. This is, this is the outcome. He does this so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Love for God. Do you love Him? Do you love Him? When God puts new life into the soul, there is love for Him. Do you love Him? And when you love Him, by necessity, you will hate the things that He hates. Sin. Sin. When God saved me, He not only gave me a, a, a supernatural love for Him that I never had before, but I hated sin. I hated it. I abhorred it in my own life. And I still do. When you love God, you love what He loves, and you hate what He hates. Sin. Your own sin. When God puts life into the soul, there's love for God, for God's Word, for God's purposes, for God's people, for God's work, for God's Son. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you love God? Brethren, when God circumcises a heart, when He cuts into it, when He transforms it, when He gives you a new one, your affections toward Him change. They change. The cry of your heart becomes, I must know Him more. I must have more of Him. I must have more of Him. You know, before I, I loved my wife and, and, and married her, I knew her. I knew, I knew Sierra. I knew her. I saw her on Sundays only, and I casually talked to her. We had casual conversations. I knew who she was. I knew where she lived. I knew where she worked. I knew her parents. I knew who she was. I knew her. But my relationship with her, with her was strictly casual and one day a week, very informal. And I was not thinking about her the other days of the week. And after I talked to her, I wasn't thinking about her after that. But when God opened up my eyes to her beauty, and brothers who have wives, you guys know what I'm talking about, or sisters too. When God opened up my eyes to her, and I saw her in a new light, I said to myself, I must know her, I must have her, and I will pursue her until I marry her. And that's what happened. And in a much greater reality, in an infinitely greater reality, that must be our love for Christ. We go from being maybe casual with Him, to maybe you come to church on Sundays, Maybe, maybe, maybe casually you, you read your Bible once in a blue moon. But when God opens up your eyes to the beauties of Christ, the cry of your heart is, I must know Him. I must have more of Him. I love Him. 
I love him. And that's, that's what the psalmist says, is it not? In, in, in Psalm 73, 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Oh, brethren, may that be the cry of our hearts toward Christ. An ultimate, the, the, the ultimate desire of our hearts would be God himself. Not just the blessings of God. You come to God to get God. You come to Christ to get Christ. That would be the cry of your heart that I must have him. Do you desire him? Do you cherish him? Do you love God? Because love for God flows out of a transformed heart. We also see obedience. Love of God and obedience to God's word. When God transforms a heart, we will live a lifestyle of obedience to him. And I use that word very purposefully, a lifestyle. A lifestyle of obedience. We will, like we read in Deuteronomy chapter 10, we will walk in his ways. We will walk in his ways. And when we fall down, we will get back up and continue to walk in his ways. We will live a lifestyle of obedience, greater and greater love and greater and greater obedience to Christ. A lifestyle of obedience flows out of a transformed heart that loves God. I, I was thinking of what is the strongest verse that I could think of about this topic. And I think it is 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. And I would like for you to go there. 1 John, 1 John. 1, 1 John. The, one, the first of the three Johns in the back of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. First John chapter, yeah, not the Gospel of John. You got to keep going to the back. It's after uh, Peter. It's after Hebrews. It's like two books before Revelation in the back, or three books. One John chapter two, and we have to understand is that love and obedience are wrapped up together. They come in a package deal when it comes to God. When God saves you, you love Him and obey Him. Let's read this. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. John says, And by this we know that we have come to know Him. If we keep His commandments, whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps His word... In him, truly, what? The love of God is perfected. Love for God and obedience of God are bound up together. How do we know if we've come to know him? Well, we're obeying his word. We're living a lifestyle of obedience. And, you know, I, I feel like, you know, I don't have to necessarily qualify this, but it's not a perfect obedience. We know that. We sin against God even as born-again believers, but make no mistake about it, there's a lifestyle of obedience. There's a lifestyle of it. 
Do you obey God? You know, there's a, there's a billboard out here that I, I kind of like, actually, right here on Sahara. It says, true Christians obey the teachings of Christ or Jesus' teachings. True Christians obey Jesus' teachings. And I would expand that and say all teachings that even Jesus didn't actually say, God's word. And that's a reality. How do we know if we've come to know him? Because we're obeying his word. And not out of our own strength because we can't do that. Because we have a new heart. And now you want to obey God's word when before you never cared. Or maybe you tried and you never could. It's a lifestyle of obedience. And that's what John's speaking of. That's what those words walk in, in the original language mean to walk around. To live a lifestyle of obedience to God. And isn't this what Ezekiel 36 talked about? When God puts his spirit within us. He causes us to walk in his ways. Not kicking and screaming. But he changes our heart and gives us a desire to follow him, to know him, to pursue him, to obey his word. God changes our desires. Brethren, the people of Israel were commanded to give their full attention to their hearts as they entered the promised land. Because without changed hearts, they were not going to obey God. And when they did not obey God, God promised he would cast them out of the land. And we're going to see that that actually happens. But God saves a remnant. And he takes that remnant and he gives them new hearts and he preserves the line all the way to us. Brother, may we be a people who are giving full attention to our hearts. May we be people that are calling others to recognize their need of a new heart. That trying to obey the commands of God in your own flesh is useless. It's vanity. They need a new heart. And may we be people pointing them to the one who has the power to give the new heart. God himself. And may we be people that are displaying the evidences of a transformed heart in our own lives. Displaying the fruit of the Spirit. And may the Lord of glory never... I heard that, yeah. I know, right? And may the Lord... Listen, this is important. May the Lord of glory never, never say about us, these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let's pray.